The Glory of Baptism, a family letter cheering on the next covenant child. Dear brother and sister, and any beloved family member who may read, praise God for his mercy and grace toward us, that we should be so warmly embraced by the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose providences have previously attended our family. They sustain us now and will surely bless our family for generations, as evidenced by the most recent announcement of a new baby boy. As this letter will detail, and as I would already hope we agree on, this little boy belongs to our Father in Heaven before he belongs to anyone else. But what does such a statement mean? What are the implications? This letter will seek to present an introductory argument for infant baptism, as well as communicate the scriptural reality of the covenant in our everyday lives. He and all our children and our children's children are children of the covenant of Jesus Christ. This is among the many blessings of the gospel. See Acts 2, 38-39, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. I desire for this letter to be brief, but... Y'all know I often get carried away. The least we can say. In order to have a discussion on baptism, which has been more intensely debated for the last 500 years than in centuries prior, it would help to consider what scripture actually says about baptism as opposed to what it does not say. Below is an initial survey of the famous baptism text. I would like for you to keep in mind what the text is saying specifically explicitly verbatim. Quote, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.21 Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in the newness of life for if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his Romans chapter 6 verses 3 through 5 he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. In summary, the scriptures say of baptism... That it saves, 1 Peter 3.21. It puts us into Christ, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Washes us, Titus 3.5. Puts Christ onto us, Galatians 3.27. Now, a debate can be had about what all of these mean in their contexts. For example, there's much disagreement as to Peter's meaning in 1 Peter 3.21. But what cannot be said is that baptism is a mere sign. None of those scriptures, nor any others, say something like that. Put another way, we cannot say that God is not doing something with and through baptism, nor can we say nothing is happening to the individual as they are baptized. Such claims would directly 
be contrary to the language of the text. To insinuate otherwise is to import language and ideas that are foreign to the text themselves. Nowhere is baptism referred to as a mere sign, empty empty symbol, or inessential practice. Those who subscribe to such views either have to, in the least, impose foreign ideas to the language, or, at most, perform mental gymnastics asserting rules and regulations regarding baptism that are not to be found in the Bible. God is doing something with and through baptism, not because of anything in the waters, but because he has said he is doing so. He is performing something upon the individual in baptism. He has said so. So if baptism is efficacious, meaning it accomplishes something, and it does, what does this mean for our children? Initial arguments for infant baptism. Again, much more could be said on these ideas. What God is doing in baptism slash what is happening to the individual during the ritual. Thousands upon thousands of volumes have been written on the subject, but again, what is the least we can say on the practice? Scripture plainly tells us that baptism has replaced circumcision as the entry rite into the covenant. Quote, In him also were you circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Colossians chapter 2, 11 through 12. So then the question is, what is the covenant? A simple biblical definition of God's covenant would be that stipulated relationship he initiates with his people, possessing attendant blessings and curses, and is truly demonstrated or memorialized by signs and seals. It is incredibly important to note that God has always done this with families. Adam and his family, Eve and the line of Seth after them. Signs and seals, the tree of the trees of life, knowledge of good and evil, and the animal skins after their fall. Noah and his family, signs and seals, the rainbow and division between clean and unclean animals. Abraham and his family, signs and seals, the circumcision. Let's zero in on the promises to Abraham and his covenant with God. Quote, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourns, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possessions. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 through 11. I apologize for the long quote, but it is critical in identifying a couple of things. One, note all of the promises God made to remain with Abraham's family after him, regardless of their foreseen disobedience. And spoiler alert, we know many of them were very disobedient. Two, 
Note that the Holy Spirit through the text calls the circumcision, quote, a sign of the covenant. How does Christ transform this? How is this carried over into the New Testament? We find out in the very first sermon of the early church. Quote, now when the brothers had heard this, they were cut in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Acts chapter 2 verses 37 through 39. The promise mentioned in the text is in fact the promise made to Abraham that God would be his peop- would be with his people and their children. This is confirmed later by Paul saying, quote, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed among with Abraham, the man of faith. Galatians 3, 7-9 through 9. So what do we do with all of that? God has always covenanted with families and has done so through physical signs and seals. When God covenanted with Abraham, he promised that the benefits given unto Abraham would eventually be given unto the world, and they have been through Christ. Now those who are saved by Christ experience the benefits of this promise, and so do their families. This is precisely why in the book of Acts, aside from the events of mass baptism, Five out of seven of the case study baptisms happen unto entire households on the basis of one person's profession of faith. The two exceptions are Paul and the Ethiopian eunuch, who did not have households. Other implications. Having said all of that, what are the implications of baptism replacing the circumcision? As asserted before, this demonstrates that the primary purpose for the sacrament is that of entry to the covenant, not a profession of faith. Baptism as a profession of faith is a secondary purpose for new converts, but even then, the thrust of the practice is to, quote, bring in said person into the covenant with the triune God. How do we know this from Scripture? Basic formulations come from how God covenanted with his people and the Old Testament. Let's look at Abraham again, who was the covenant head, or central representative of God's people, for his time. In Genesis 17, we saw that the covenant head was the first commanded to receive the entry right. Then his entire household, children and servants alike, was to receive it as well. Later with the birth of Isaac and specific stipulation into Mosaic law, God commanded his people to give them the sign, give the sign to their children, that is the circumcision. Consider the aforementioned paradigm to the history of Christianity. Christ, our covenant head, was baptized, receiving the the sign of the new covenant. After this, he commanded his followers to baptize disciples and their households. The book of Acts clearly demonstrates this as the apostles would have not departed from nor added to the commands of Christ, who even went so far as to say in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And of course, we know from church history People have been baptizing babies for 2,000 years. After Christ, they are covenant head.
the summary. Abraham was the covenant head who was instructed to give the covenant sign to his entire household and specifically his children. See that in Genesis 17, 27, he even circumcised his slaves. In a much greater sense, Christ is the greater covenant head who covers households and gives the sign to covenant children in baptism. The blood of the lamb covers the entire household before the destruction of Egypt, not just individuals. If even the slave of the family would be covenanted, why would the children not today? The burden of proof rests on those who would argue otherwise, that children are not born into the covenant. If the new covenant is more glorious, gracious, and inclusive than the old, and it is, then why would God categorically reject an entire demographic of people, children, whom he formally included in covenant signs and celebrations? Here is one more text to help us understand how the entirety of God's people are to experience his signs and seals. Quote, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud that they all, that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 4. Our Lord still desires that our children accompany us to be united to Christ in baptism and be fed by him from his table as they did in the wilderness. To say otherwise is to say the Israelites excluded their children from crossing the sea and eating the manna from heaven. Helpful History As we come to the end of this letter, I would be remiss without reminding everyone about American exceptionalism. No, not the Constitution, American football, or microwave pizza, but that of the ecclesiastical or church variety. We are the only Christian-influenced nation in history which has popularly preferred credo-baptism over pedo-baptism, believer's baptism over infant baptism. That being said, not only have most American Christians still been baptized as infants today, the same has always been true for people in America, and not just America, but worldwide. For 2,000 years, the overwhelming practice of the church has been infant baptism over believer's baptism. The reasons why may vary, as the arguments I've presented above derive from the Presbyterian tradition, which would vary slightly from the Anglican, drastically from the Roman Catholic, and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, Christendom has always endorsed this practice as in line with scripture and tradition. Now, contemporary Protestants get very cautious using the term, quote, tradition, as if it is always in competition with scripture. And this is simply not the case. The modern Protestant has no problem participating in a number of things that have no explicit scriptural commandment whatsoever, like celebrating Christmas or Easter. History or tradition are fine to be used as reference points so long as they are still subservient to the scriptures. That is why a majority of this letter has concerned itself with scripture as opposed to merely tradition. But... Now let's dump some Protestant tradition into the mix. Quote, Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ, not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church, but also to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of his engrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remission of sins, and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in the newness of life, 
which sacrament is, by Christ's own appointment, to be continued in his church until the end of the world, not only that those who do actually profess faith and obedience to Christ, but also infants of one or both believing parents are to be baptized. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 28, Section 1, Section 4. The Confession of Presbyterians. Quote, Baptism is not only a sign of profession and mark of difference, whereby Christian men are discerned from others that are not christened, but it is also a sign of regeneration or new birth, whereby, as an instrument, they that receive baptism are rightly engrafted into the church, the promises of forgiveness of sins, and of our adoption to be the sons of God by the Holy Ghost, are visibly signed and sealed. Faith is confirmed and grace increased by virtue of prayer unto God. The baptism of young children is in any wise to be retained in the church as most agreeable with the institution of Christ. Article 27 of the 39 Articles, Confession of Anglicans. Therefore, we detest the error of the Anabaptists, who are not content with the one and only baptism they have once received, and moreover condemn the baptism of the infants of believers, whom we believe ought to be baptized and sealed with the sign of the covenant. As the children in Israel formerly were circumcised upon the same promises which are made unto our children, and indeed Christ shed his blood no less for the washing of the children of the faithful than for adult persons, and therefore they ought to receive the sign and sacrament of that which Christ hath done for them, as the Lord commanded in his law, that they should be made partakers of the sacrament of Christ's suffering and death, shortly after they were born, by offering them a lamb, which was the sacrament of Jesus Christ. Moreover, what circumcision was to the Jews, that baptism is for our children. And for this reason, Paul calls baptism the circumcision of Christ. Article 34 of the Belgic Confession. Confession of the Dutch and Continental Reformed. Of baptism, they teach that it is necessary to salvation, and that through baptism is offered the grace of God, and that children are to be baptized who, being offered to God through baptism, are received into God's grace. They condemn the Anabaptists who reject the baptism of children and say that children are saved without baptism. Article 9, Augsburg Confession, Confession of Lutherans. We confess and acknowledge that baptism appertaineth as well to the infants of the faithful as to those be of age in discretion. And we so damn the error of the Anabaptists who deny baptism to appertain to children before they that have faith and understanding. The Scots Confession of 1560, another Presbyterian confession. Baptism is not only a sign of profession and mark of difference whereby Christians are distinguished from others that are not baptized, but it is also a sign of regeneration or the new birth. The baptism of young children is to be retained in the church. Article 17 of 25 Articles of Religion Confession of Methodists I hope this has demonstrated that across Protestant traditions there is a rich, abundant history of this practice. I really need not go to the early church fathers to show you how they supported it, because of course you already know that they did, but I will anyway just to land on the point and jump up and down on it. Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. He was baptized as an infant, later baptized infants himself, and taught his disciple Irenaeus the practice. He later said, He, Jesus, came to save all through himself. All, I say, who through him are reborn in God, infants and children and youths and old men, Therefore, he passed through every age, becoming an infant for infants, 
sanctifying infants, a child for children, sanctifying those who are of that age, so that he might be the perfect teacher in all things, perfect not only respect to the setting forth of truth, but perfect also in respect to relative age. Against Heresies 2.22.4, A.D. 189. And, of course, he went on to baptize many babies. This practice was maintained for centuries and was severely fought for. Consider Augustine in the 4th century. By this grace, baptized infants, too, are engrafted into Christ's body. Infants who certainly are not yet able to imitate anyone. Christ, in whom are all made alive, gives also the most hidden grace of his spirit to believers, grace which he secretly infuses even unto infants. If anyone wonders why children born of the baptized should themselves be baptized, let him attend this briefly. The sacrament of baptism is most assuredly the sacrament of regeneration, forgiveness, and the just deserts of sin in the baptism of infants. 1, 9, 10, 1, 24, 34, 2, 27, 43, A.D. 4, 12. So what now? It's very, it's very simple. Our marching orders can be described by one of my favorite talk show hosts, David Shannon, a.k.a. The Chocolate Knox. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. The glory of the covenant. The glory of this blessing is we really can call our children Christians, raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord without being in contradiction. See Paul's argument here. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. 1 Corinthians 7, 14. Those who would teach their children, Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Lord's Prayer, yet believe them to be unbelievers, are the ones with explaining to do, not those who baptize their children after Scripture. The glory goes from the garden, Genesis 1-3, through to the garden city, Revelation 20 and 21, from the past to the future. As we articulated before, God has always intentionally covenanted with families, keeping covenant with them, quote, for a thousand generations. His grace is glorious and will conquer the division sought after by the serpent, separating the woman from her seed. We can really and truly say to our children what Christians have been saying for centuries, having faith that he will continue to bless our heritage for centuries more to come. As pastors have said to children as they baptize them for centuries now, for you, Jesus Christ came into the world. For you, he lived and showed God's love. For you, he suffered the darkness of Calvary and cried at its last, it is accomplished. For you, he triumphed over death and rose in the newness of life. For you, he ascended to reign at God's right hand. All this he did for you. Though you do not yet know it, and so the word of Scripture is fulfilled, we love because God loved us first. The Baptismal Liturgy of the Scottish Book of Order. Conclusion Praise the triune God who has covenanted with us from eternity past, he has determined to commune with us despite our damnable sinfulness. He has done this for his own glory and our good. For he loves us and has determined works to accomplish through us. The joyous anticipation which besets us to welcome the newest member to our family challenges us 
that we ought to renew our commitments to one another and to our Lord. Not as though the, quote, subscription is expired, but because we in our sin need sanctifying, and by golly, we have a wonderful Savior who's more than willing to do it and has done it already. Only by His grace will we persevere. To my brother and sister, may the Lord bless and keep you. May you be blessed with the blessings of Psalm 128. Blessed are all those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your, ch- your children also will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And for you, little child, may you be a humble ruler like your namesake, leading in the light of the glory of Jesus. May it be said of you your whole life, living in repentance and faith. In Christ, the Billiots. Brothers in Christ, here's a quick word from the Stoic Christian Affiliates. Are you tired of struggling on your own to set goals and maintain accountability? Are you looking for a group of men who could push you in sanctification towards Christ our Lord daily? Do you want to learn from their wisdom, practice their techniques, and develop your own? If so, it's time to join the Stoic Christian Fellowship, where men are trained to become men of God. Click the link below, go to stoicchristian.com backslash fellowship backslash, or click the Stoic links on the Christus Rex blog page under the Learn More tab.